Amen. That's right. I'm so excited that everybody's here. I just want to thank you for being here. Uh, I know that there's probably a thousand other things that you could do on your Sunday morning, but we are honored that you chose to be here with us. And what I know to be true is that God knows that you're here. God knew that you were gonna be here. And as we've been praying around our services this weekend, we've been praying that you would have an amazing encounter with him that would transform our lives. Sometimes people have in the back of their mind, I wonder if that guy's got an agenda for me. I want everyone to just relax right now, put your guard down, I'm gonna answer that question for you. Yes, absolutely, I've got an agenda for you. What we want to do today is we want to, with the best way that we can, we wanna lift up Jesus. We wanna put the spotlight on him. And we pray that as you hear about who he is and what it is that he's done for you, something would change in your heart. That wherever your heart is toward Jesus right now, wherever the door of your life is, that you would open up just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Because I wanna unashamedly say that Jesus wants us to open the doors wide open to our life and he is worthy of our life. He is absolutely worthy of our life. But I know that in a crowd like this, there are probably some people here today that you wouldn't even describe yourself as a person of faith. Maybe you're just curious, you're kind of kicking the chires of Christianity. I wanna just say, I am so glad you're here. I want you to hear about this carpenter from Nazareth. And maybe something would happen in you that would cause you to begin to search more after him. And maybe there's some people in this room that if you were to describe yourself, you'd say, I've just been away from God for a while. I've been away from church. Well, let me be the first to say, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here and God is glad that you're here as well. Maybe the only reason that you came here today was so that you could text your mama and tell her that you went to church today. If that's true, I'll take a selfie with you up front just for proof. You can post it on your Instagram. We are so glad you're here. But maybe you've just been following Jesus most of the days of your life. I pray that as you consider the resurrected Christ, that something would change in you. He is worthy of our whole life. And we're here today, friends, because we wanna celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And this is why we believe as a church that the resurrection has the power to actually change our lives. We see that 2,000 years ago with those very first followers of Jesus, and we see the same thing happening today. But here's a question, how does the resurrection change our life? Here's one question that we've gotta answer. We've gotta think about what happened in that tomb 2,000 years ago? What is it? that those disciples found. Here's one of the greatest ironies of how the Bible describes that resurrection morning, is that the people that you would most think would have been the most expectant that Jesus was gonna rise from the dead, they were actually the most skeptical. They were the very first skeptics. Let's read Luke's account of that first resurrection morning. Luke 24, starting in verse one. But very early on Sunday morning, The women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
as they stood there puzzled, absolutely puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and they bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking for the dead? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. And he said, remember, remember what he told you back in Galilee. The son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Ah, then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. And they're gonna be surprised and full of faith, right? Not exactly. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and he saw the empty linen wrappings. And then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Wondering, wondering. When Peter got to that tomb that day, he didn't see what he expected. He saw empty linen rags, burial rags. The language literally says it was in the folds, meaning it was folded the way Jesus had been laid there. It was as if the body was gone, but the linens were there. So Peter is wondering, wondering what happened. I mean, surely if the friends of Jesus took the body, they would have taken the grave clothes with them. And even if the enemies of Jesus wanted to take the body, they would have done the same thing. And if they wanted the body, why would they unwrap it and put the burial clothes back the way they were? Undisturbed with the body gone. That disturbed Peter. Wondering, wondering. But then we see that Peter's wondering turned to worship. In the account of John's gospel, says that John, asking those same questions of himself, when he finally realized he did the math, he put two and two together, got four. It says he saw and he believed. He realized what had happened. His wondering turned to worship. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I don't know. That's hard to believe. You're in really, really good company. Those people that had walked through the whole earthly life of Jesus, they were among the first skeptics, so skeptical. But it was unbelievable, wasn't it? They had never seen anything like this before. The resurrection of Jesus, friends, it is not a peripheral issue in our Christian faith. Actually, the reality of the resurrection is central. And that's what makes Christianity so unique. The truth of Christianity, it doesn't hinge on some teaching of Jesus. It doesn't rest on philosophy. It doesn't even rest on theology. The truth of our faith 
rests on an event in human history. Did this happen? Did Jesus rise from the dead? The apostle Paul, he wanted us to be really clear on the importance of the resurrection. He pushed all the chips to the middle of the table when he taught this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be pitied. We are to be pitied more than anyone in the world. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if this was not an event in human history, then Jesus was just another religious leader that taught some things that people took note of, died a noble death, but nothing else. And Paul would say, and then Christianity has nothing to say to the world. In fact, he would say, if the world were looking in on us today, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, he said they should shake their heads and pity us. We should be pitied above all people. But friends, here's what we've got to deal with. Here's what we've got to metabolize. Those early skeptics, they became the most rabid believers in the resurrection of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, many of them believed, not because they had just heard some new teaching, not because they had been to some kind of a conference, but they were eyewitnesses to something that was absolutely unbelievable. They saw the resurrected Jesus. When they went to the tomb, the tomb was empty. When they looked at the grave clothes, the grave clothes were empty and they saw Jesus alive and their wondering turned to worship. They worshiped him. And there were three things that those early followers of Jesus learned about the resurrection that we need to learn too if our life is gonna be changed. They learned that Jesus is the true king. They learned that his kingdom is forever. And they learned that everyone, everyone will choose a king. Jesus is the true king. Let's do a little quick math quiz. I know for some of you, when I just said math quiz, you went <clears throat> flashbacks, PTSD from high school, those pop quizzes. Promise, this will not be on the final. Here's the quiz. How many times did Jesus prophesy to his followers that he was gonna be killed and raised from the dead three days later? Three times. Of his closest followers, how many of them were there? His apostles, how many of them were there every time he prophesied that? All of them. Every single one of them. They heard him, they knew. But then on that first resurrection morning, how many of those apostles were sitting there waiting expectantly to see Jesus rise from the dead? Zero. Absolutely zero. How many of his closest followers believed in the resurrection before they saw the resurrected Jesus? Zero. None of them. So let's think about this. On that Saturday, between the crucifixion and the resurrection, if you were just a, a street corner Jerusalem bookie, 
What odds would you give that 2,000 years later, anyone was gonna be talking about the name of Jesus? Not very good odds. But here we are today, 2018, Bozeman, Montana. There is a bald man standing on a stage talking to people about the resurrected Jesus. People all over the world right now are talking about the resurrected Jesus. This was so important to Jesus. We, he wanted everyone to understand the magnitude and the importance of the resurrection. One time when he was talking with his good friend, Martha, around the context of her losing her brother, Lazarus, who he was gonna raise from the dead, but he wanted her to understand the truth of the resurrection. He said this to his friend. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? I think if Jesus were here today, I think he would wanna look each one of us in the eye and he would want us to ask that very same question about the resurrection. Just put your name at the end of that sentence. Do you believe this, Bob? Do you believe this? Do you believe in your heart and soul that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that I hold the keys to death and to life? Do you believe this? Do you believe that life now and forever is found in me and only me? It's the question that Jesus would ask us. Do you believe? Well, on that resurrection morning, when that stone was rolled away, what Jesus did is he played his trump card. He said, I am the true king. The search the search is over. If you're on a spiritual search, on a spiritual journey, what Jesus is saying, I am who I claimed to be. The search is over. It's so interesting. Sometimes when I think about that stone being rolled away, I think sometimes in our mind, we think that the stone was rolled away so that Jesus could get out. That's what you were thinking, wasn't it? No. Jesus was gone. That stone was rolled away so that we could get in. That stone was rolled away so that we could get in and see that that tomb is empty, that we could see that those grave clothes are empty, so that we could see that our empty life, our empty heart can be filled because of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus played his trump card. I'm the true king. I am who I claim to be. But the resurrection also tells us something else. It tells us that his kingdom is forever. The resurrection of Jesus and how the disciples and those early followers experienced that gives us a new way for us to think about our future and a new way for us to relate to our future. Jesus went ahead of us. The kind of resurrection that he experienced is the same kind of resurrection that he promises to us. And here's what you've got to hear, friends. It was a physical resurrection. It was a bodily resurrection. As the disciples and those people experienced him, they experienced him physically. They physically saw him. They physically touched him. 
They physically walked with him. They physically ate food with him. Jesus' resurrection was a physical resurrection. He wasn't some kind of ghost, some kind of disembodied, never, never land experience. Physical resurrection. And here's why this is so important, because I think some of you, when you think about eternity, you think about clouds, you think about wings, don't you? You think about harps, you think about this never-ending church service where all we do is sit and sing together. Some of you think that. We've got to banish that from our mind. Our eternity with God is going to be a physical experience. God says that he is gonna make all things new. He's not gonna make all new things, but he's gonna make all things new. They're gonna be restored. They're gonna be redeemed. Friends, we will eat the most amazing of food. We will drink the best wine that you can ever imagine. We will have the best and the most loyal friends. We will be captivated, absolutely captivated by God's creative beauty. Just like those days when you look out and you see the sun on the bridgers. It's gonna be that. We're gonna experience that. We're gonna love one another. We're gonna hug one another. We're gonna work. We're gonna play. We're gonna dance. We're gonna serve. And you know what else we're gonna do? We're gonna fish. (laughs) Ezekiel 47, look it up. But here's what you need to hear. The pleasures of this earth that we are so captivated by that we wanna grab a hold of, they are just a mere shadow, a mere flicker of what it is that God has prepared for us. Why? Why would I spend this resurrection day talking about this? Why is this so important and why can this change our life, the way that we live? I'm gonna try to explain it this way by explaining a debilitating condition that I suffer from. And this condition has an acronym, and it's FOMO, fear of missing out. Don't laugh, it's a real thing. It's in the Oxford Dictionary, you can look it up. FOMO is a pervasive, pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which one is absent. Here's what happens to me, even just around our office. If I'm sitting down in my office and I start to hear laughter down the hall, I feel like I've got to physically grab my chair because I just think, what's going on? What am I missing? What if there's this inside joke that gets created and then I don't, I'm not a part of it? Fear of missing out. Here's what I think a lot of Christians suffer from, spiritual FOMO. We are so afraid of being involved in the things of God and the things of God's kingdom because we're afraid that we're gonna miss out. We spend all of our time chasing the pleasures of this earth when God is saying, you can let go of that. Follow me, follow my kingdom. I've got all of that for you forever. That's why Jesus can tell people, don't worry. Don't worry about this world. Just relax about this world. I've got it taken care of. Why he can look at us and say, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and then all of those things will be added to us. This is what those early followers understood and why their lives were so radical. They didn't feel like, I've gotta get everything here in this life. They had no fear of missing out, and they lived a radical life for the sake of the kingdom. They gave their time to people. 
They gave their money to people. They sacrificed for people. And we can do the same thing. Friends, the only thing that we're not gonna be able to do in that eternity with God is to bring his kingdom to this earth. When his kingdom is fulfilled in that day, we will no longer get the opportunity to tell people about the true king so that they might come to know him, so that they might bow their knee to him. It's the only thing that we won't be able to do in eternity. His kingdom, friends, it is forever. I think if I made a bumper sticker to try to get this point, I would just make it no mo FOMO. No mo FOMO. We don't have to fear messing out, missing out. God has it prepared for us. He's the true king and his kingdom is forever. But you know what? Everyone will choose a king. Every one of us is gonna choose a king. Jesus wasn't born in the way that you would imagine. He wasn't born the way that kings were born in the minds of people. In fact, when Jesus was born, there was another king. And his name was King Herod. Despicable. When Herod heard rumors, rumblings, that there was a new sheriff in town, someone was talking about this king that had been born that was gonna be king of the Jews, he said, "Uh uh-uh. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. So he said, I want every child, every boy, two years and old and younger, around Bethlehem, I want you to kill him. Because Herod was convinced there's only room for one king. But Jesus wasn't the normal kind of king. The things that we would associate with a king. Jesus was born, and for all practical purposes, we could call him a simple peasant. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never journeyed more than 200 miles from his hometown. His own family his own family thought that he was crazy. The thousands of people that he had helped throughout his life weren't there at the end of his life, completely forgotten about him. His friends were fickle. Even one of his closest friends betrayed him. And prior to his death, all of his friends had completely abandoned him. But after his death, after his death, they couldn't resist him. What was the difference? The resurrection. The resurrection. When Jesus died, when Jesus died in our place, you know what else died? Our sin, our guilt, our shame. All of that died with him. And when Jesus rose from the dead, so did our hope. We had hope. The question for us is, what is gonna be our response to the king? Are we gonna make Jesus our king? The disciples, as we walk across what happened with them on that resurrection morning, started with wondering, could this be true? That wondering turned to worship. He is the true king. And ultimately, that worship turned to preaching of the kingdom to anyone who would listen. If we were to hear in those first few weeks after the resurrection of Jesus, In the streets of Jerusalem, you'd hear the message going out. Christ has died for you. He is raised again. Hope is found in him and him alone. And as Peter preached that message on that day of Pentecost, people responded. 
People responded to that message. And here's what the scripture says. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. That's us, those far away. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Simple message, wasn't it? How do we respond to the king? Peter said, repent. Repent just simply means to turn. Turn away from chasing the stuff of this world, chasing the other kings of this world. Turn from those things and make Jesus your king. Put him first and foremost in our lives. Peter said, be baptized. Publicly identify yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection. Tell everyone that will listen, I am a Jesus guy. I am a Jesus gal. Be baptized. And then he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive God's powerful presence living within us to guide us in life, to counsel us in life, to help us live the supernatural life that God asks for us to live. Are you wondering today? Maybe you're wandering today, wavering. Who's my king? Herod was despicable, but he was right on one thing. There's only room for one king. One king, one Lord, one hope, one name. And that name is Jesus. Will Jesus be your king? I think it's interesting as we think about the story of the resurrection that God would use something like burial rags to be the symbol of life to his closest followers. But God has a way of doing things like that, turning things around. He can take empty wine jars at a wedding banquet and turn them into a symbol of his power and his provision. He can take a tiny little copper coin in the gnarled hand of a poor widow and turn it into the greatest symbol of extravagant generosity that the world would know. He can take a crude manger and turn it into a symbol of worship. And he can take a cross, a Roman cross, an implement of execution, and he can turn that into the greatest symbol of love that the world knows. Grave clothes, burial rags, that symbol that death can bring life. We can bring our dead things to him and he can bring life when we make him our king. Will you make Jesus your king? Let's pray.
Jesus, I just want to say I never get tired of the story. I never get tired of it. Thank you. Thank you that you were willing on that Friday to go to that cross in my place to pay the penalty for my sin. Not your sin, Jesus, my sin. Thank you that you did that. Holy Spirit, thank you for the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And thank you for the hope that we have that that same power is available to us. Jesus, bring life to things that are dead. We come to you and we just say, you are the true king. Your kingdom is forever. And we choose you as our king. It's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.